A, first and foremost, I, I don't I don't pick on any particular nation, right? Neil, let me ask you this question because there seems to be so many attacks happening today. Are we in a cyber war? Yes. The the, the easiest answer to that is yes. I think um I, I think we've been we we have always been in a cyber war. I think the the players in that cyber war have changed over the years. And I think, you know, ten years ago it had been easy to say, Hey, I'm target, I don't need to worry about Russia, right? Because, you know, I just care about PCI and whatnot. I think now, and I think Solar Winds has proven this, I think um I think I think the water treatment facility plant uh, hack that happened in Florida is starting to prove some of this. I think we are we are closer and closer to blurring those lines between if you're target, do you have to worry about Russia, not just from a commodity cybercrime perspective, but do you need to worry about them as a nation state perspective? Um, and I think that those lines are are starting to get really blurred. And and I and I lean on solar winds for this, right? Um, when we talk about state-sponsored hackers, a first and foremost, I, I don't I don't pick on any particular nation, right? You know, oftentimes Russia and China are the names that come out of everybody's mouth because that's what they're used to to hearing and talking about. But one of the first things that I like to break down for people, right, is is every nation out there, almost every nation out there, has some form of a cyber capability. France, England, India. Pakistan, Malaysia, the Philippines, they, they have cyber capabilities. When we were at the when we were in the in, in in the government, you know, we tracked all of these nation states' cyber activities because, you know, you know, you know, it's 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 just like monitoring troop movements across the globe. You want to know what they're doing from a cyber threat from a cyber warfare perspective so that you know whether they're making cyber moves against you. Um, and so when we talk about state sponsored attackers, their goals their motivations are to further their national security objectives given by their government. And so if hacking target, right, furthers their national security objective, then yes, target is a, you know, target for, well, I'd use a double pun on that one. That's um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for, for a nation state attack. And I don't think currently organizations like target are thinking about themselves as like what is my what is my value to the national strategic objectives of the philippines you know i'll give you an example i'll give you one example real quick and then I'm, i want to turn it over to you and see what your thoughts are on this um um china and, and again not to pick on china but just because this is a very relevant case right we know that china does a lot from a an intellectual property theft perspective but people oftentimes only focus on China stealing the intellectual property of military apparatuses so that they can make their own F-35 or something like that. Believe it or not, China targets a lot of our consumer goods. Um, I worked for a company um, you know, a few years back that produced um, one of the biggest brands of baby milk um, in the world. And they were a target of Chinese state-sponsored activity so that they could steal, so that China could steal the formulas for this baby milk so that they could produce it cheaper in their own country instead of having to buy from this corporation. I, I, I'm, so, so first off, coming from 
military agency background, I want to, I, I do want to tell a small story on intelligence in the military. When you start to learn about just intelligence generally as an apparatus, um, it's important to remember that intelligence is about getting information to decision makers so they can make decisions rapidly. Um, and I explained a concept on my stream last week when we were talking about the Florida um, water treatment facility plant hack, which we can do that if you want to talk about that. Oh, yeah. um, um, and it's, it's, it's something that, that I've brought to a lot of companies since I've been out of the military, because when we think about cyber, right, I don't think people realize how much of being in a cyber war we have been over the last 15 years and how it, it went from being, you know, kind of a, well, cyber war is a military thing. The governments are dealing with that. We don't have to deal with it in a corporate world. But when you look at solar winds, when you look at what just happened um, down in Florida with the water treatment facility plan, when you look at how cyber has evolved over the last 10 years, those lines really start to blur on whether a private company like Apple or Target or something like that is engaged in cyber war. 10 years ago, it had been like, no, they're not engaged in cyber war. You know, the only thing that they have to be concerned about is PCI. But now that you've got something like solar winds happening, where nation states are targeting private companies um, more and more frequently, more and more brazenly. Um, I think every public company needs to be worried about whether they're a target of actual offensive cyber aggression from a different nation state. And so bringing wartime concepts into the cybersecurity uh, organization is key. And I've always tried to build cybersecurity organizations that you know, you'll carry over some of the military stuff that we used to do in the military. And so one of the, one of the first concepts that I like to teach to um, cybersecurity organizations is, uh, or even just, you know, the business side of the organization is, is a concept known as OODA, O-O-D-A. Um, it's a military concept that, um, uh, was actually originated by a Korean war fighter pilot during the Korean war, which stands for observe, orient, decide, and act. So O-O-D-A. And what it's about doing is it's a, it's a circular loop. Um, decision loop, right? You want to observe your bad guy. You want to observe the adversary. You want to orient yourself to their current location. You want to quickly make a decision and you want to act even faster, right? So imagine you're sitting on a blue team, you're looking at a console and you see an alert pop up. That OODA loop needs to instantly kick in and you need to observe that, that indicator, um, orient yourself to decide if that is a threat or not. And if it is a threat, you need to rapidly make a decision and rapidly be able to act on it. Um, and so to be able to do all of that, to be able to do that OODA loop, you have to have good intelligence. And so that's why when you talk about OSINT, OSINT's a, OSINT is a form of intelligence. But when we think about threat intelligence as a whole inside of most cybersecurity organizations, that's why I like this one right here, which is the Threat Intelligence Handbook. Um, you know, which helps move, move moving toward a security intelligence program. 
Um, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions when it comes to building a cyber threat intelligence program inside of most organizations. Um, most organizations think that they can go buy like a threat connect or, you know, a, a recorded future or something like that. And that that's it. They're good. They solved all their threat intelligence problems, but there's way more to, to cyber threat intelligence than I think people realize. And this is a great book to kind of give you a, a real good primer on cyber threat intelligence in most organizations. Just remind us, Neil, because we have covered this before, but um, just in case people haven't heard it before, what's the relation between red and blue team? Because people often focus on the blue team, and I think we need to actually you know, shed some proper light on why, for instance, blue team is better than red team, et cetera. Exactly, and, and, and I don't wanna, and, and let's, let's, let's make sure we quantify the definition of the, the term better, right? Um, you know, in a war, you know, you've got offense and defense, right? Um, and, and, and everybody gets so focused on offense. And when you think about wartime and you think about offense, you think about special ops folks, right? You think about Navy SEALs, right? Or you think about your, 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 your SAS, you know, types of folks who, who jump in behind enemy lines and, and they creep through the bushes, you know, over the course of four days to, to do a, a sniper mission to kill the bad guy and the war is over. And, and that's what oftentimes people think about when they think about red team is is that cool type of of militaristic you know imagery. Um, when in fact, you know, the war, when you look at the wars that have happened over the years, World War One, World War II, whatever the case is, they're won primarily by foot soldiers on the ground, people who are fighting the day-to-day -day war, you know, um, uh, on a regular basis. And this is what I equate blue team to is blue team is your foot soldiers on the ground who are who are working on behest of a company to protect that company on a day in and a day out perspective. This is why there is more of a need for blue team roles than there are for red team roles. Yeah, I think I used the wrong word there. I think we said last time it was 10 to 1. Is that right? It is 10 to 1. Yeah. yeah. On average, on average, it's about 10 to 1. When you look at most security organizations um, in the Fortune 100 space, their red teams are considerably small compared to their blue teams. As a matter of fact, a, a lot of the Fortune 100 to 500, you have less than one or two people in their org that are solely dedicated to doing red team or offensive type work. But even the use of the word offensive in red teams in Fortune 100 companies is a, is a misnomer, right? Because it's not offensive hacking in a Fortune 100 company. You're still doing cyber defense in a fortune 100 company because you know target is not going to run out there and hack you know home depot or or any of its other competitors when you so when you think about offensive hacking you know offensive hacking in the fortune 100 space is not you know a forward leaning hacking role where you're out there hacking your competitors you're still and this is why i tell people that that hacking in a company red team operations is such a small, small piece of the overall cyber defense strategy because you're only out there doing such a small piece of that ethical hacking role while the rest of the blue team, the rest of the, the governance organization, the rest of the, the other tiers that exist inside of a cybersecurity organization, they're actually defending the whole company. And so from a blue team perspective, you know, blue team is your front soldiers. They're, they're your foot soldiers. They're the front of the lines. They're the ones who are out there that are every day providing daily protection for billion dollar brands um, out there. And that's why there's more, more need for that. 
Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the focus I wanted to point to here is if someone's trying to get into cybersecurity, um, there seems to be a lot more opportunity to join the blue team just because there's more jobs. So if let's say your goal, and we've mentioned this before, is to to eventually be on the red team, mm-hmm. it's, it makes sense to join the blue team just because cybersecurity is becoming more and more important. You've said we're in a cyber war. Companies need to be protected. More and more companies need to be protected. So the the amount of jobs is is greater. Is is that, does that make sense? It does make sense, and that that is a true statement. Um, one of the things one of the things that I think um, you hit the nail on the head right when you talk about getting into a cybersecurity organization. The the least path of resistance um, is 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 kind of um, a twofold, right? The first is um, that security analyst role that sits on that blue team, right? Um, that is, that is a, that's, and I, I don't want to downplay that's that sock analyst role, but that is quickly becoming that, Hey, you just got out of college or you're, you're just out of high school and you've got some, some certifications, right? Or you got some hands-on stuff. You're trying to get your foot in the door. That sock analyst level one job, that should be the easiest job for you to get in a cybersecurity organization because you know, you, you literally are just watching for alerts on a glass screen um, and, and using pre-built playbooks and using pre-built incident response plans to triage those and then get them over to people who are going to, you know, you know, take them to the next level. And so, yeah, that's 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 the easiest way I see to get into a cybersecurity organization. But the second thing about that, though, right, is um, I think that every red teamer or even every aspiring red team or ethical hacker must, not should, must know blue team concepts. And I think every blue teamer must know red team concepts. I send my I send my blue teamers, I send them to, you know, offensive hacking, you know, certifications and um, you know, courseware work and things like that, you know, because that is just as important to them on the blue teamer side as it is to them on the red teamer side. So, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer that certifications going to get your CEH or OSCP or EJPT or whatever the case is, doesn't pigeonhole you into red teaming. As a matter of fact, I know excellent blue teamers that have pursued a lot of red team uh, certifications um, for the purpose of making themselves better blue teamers.